So what we're, what chapter are we on? Yeah, I think we did six. Yeah, I think we're on seven now. It's been a couple of weeks, yeah. All right. Everybody's got theirs. So, if, see, before I was reading, I was the only one. So if I screwed up, nobody knew. Now everybody can see if I screw up or not. But I got my glasses now, so it should be all right. Yeah, it's much clearer. That looks gray, and when I put my glasses on, it looks black. <laughs> okay. Chapter 7. Yeah, what did they do back in the days when they didn't have glasses? I still have to see. I guess everybody had good vision back then. Where's Amara? Text 1. Now hear, O son of Prita, how by practicing yoga in full consciousness of me, with mind attached to me, you can know me in full, free from doubt. I shall now declare unto you in full this knowledge, both phenomenal and nominal, nominal. <laughs> by knowing which there shall remain nothing further to be known. Out of many thousands among men, one may endeavor for perfection. And of those who have achieved perfection, hardly one knows me in truth. Earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego. All together, these eight comprise my separated material energies. So there's two, ener there's two kinds of energies. One is the spiritual energy, and one is the material energy. And the material energy is comprised of earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego. What's called false ego. So these are coverings that are over the spirit soul. But the spirit soul is a separate, is, it's, the, it's called the superior energy of God. So there's the inferior energy, uh, which is comprised of, comprised of the eight elements, earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, and false ego. And then there's Brahman, or spiritual energy, which is the higher superior energy. And we are the higher superior energy. When I say me, I'm not speaking of my body, I'm speaking of the person who's using the body. Just like these eyes are not seen. The eyes don't see. Um, you have a dead body there, it has eyes, but there's nobody seeing, right? It's actually the, the person who's seen. He's using the eyes to see. Or there's nobody, there's the, the nose isn't the one who's smelling, right? It's the, the person who's using the nose who's smelling. It's not the nose, you see. So uh, the, the, the perceiver, the person inside of uh, these, this combination of matter, and here we have the mind too. So the mind is also not something that is not who we are, it's something that is over us. Just like sometimes you have your mind is, uh, you know, you have a thought in your mind that is going on and you don't want to think of it and you're trying to get it out of your mind, right? 
So there's you, the person who's in the body, trying to deal with this other thing, trying to control the thoughts that are in this other thing. So there's two. There's, there's, there's the superior energy and the separated energy, right? The separated inferior energy is that which is covering the spirit soul, but it's not actually the spirit soul. You're of the superior energy uh, called Brahman or spirit. <clears throat> Besides this inferior nature, O mighty armed Arjuna, there is a superior energy of mind, which are all living entities who are struggling with material nature and sustaining the universe. Oh, well, I kind of gave away what the next verse was before it came. But see, there is... Uh, we are struggling with the material energy. You see? Just like I described. We're struggling. The mind is there. And we're struggling with the mind. Right? And we're struggling with the body. We're struggling with it. We're struggling with this world. So, but we are the ones that are, we are separate from that. Of all that is material and all that is spiritual, know for certain that I am both its origin and dissolution. So, uh, here the Supreme Lord is saying, He is the source of this material energy and the spiritual energy. It's not that energy comes into existence uh, on its own. Energy comes from the energetic, right? There's no such thing as energy that has no source. The energy has a source. So Krishna here is saying in the Bhagavad Gita that I am uh, both its origin and dissolution. O conqueror of wealth, Arjuna, there is no truth superior to me. Everything rests upon me as pearls are strung on a thread. So you have pearls. If you don't have the thread there, everything is just fall, falls into disarray, right? Like you have beads on the thread right here, right? And the beads are hold, the, the thread is holding the beads together, right? As soon as uh, you pull the bead away, there's just, there's no more order. It's just chaos. It just falls to the ground, right? Just like that, um, everything rests on God. There's, without God, everything just, He's the, principle that's holding it all together, right? This universe or this planet is just suspended in one spot in the universe. It's just sitting there in a perfect spot, right? If it goes a little bit further away, we all freeze to death. And if it goes closer to the sun, we all burn. But it's sitting there in a perfect spot. Why is that? Because there's somebody controlling it. There's somebody holding it there in place. And without that principle, that governing principle, it all just falls down. It all just, there's no more order, you see? I used to always worry about that when I was a kid. Before I knew about um, that God was in control, I was, I was always very afraid that, like, uh, this world would fall or some comet would hit us. I mean, you hear about these, these stories about how like, there's these comets that are always meteorites or whatever, just shooting through space. And you ever seen these shooting stars, how quickly they shoot through the whole atmosphere? It's amazing how fast it is. Yeah, you know like when you have a plane, a plane, when it's, it's close to you, it's, it, it's fast, right? But when it's far away, it looks like it takes forever. Like how's it ever going to get to like Hawaii, right? It, it seems like it's moving so slow, right? So, but like uh, when you have uh, 
and you have these meteorites that are like so far away and they traverse our whole planet in like, you know, shooting stars, they traverse the whole thing in a, less than a second, you know, throughout the whole sky and it's way out there, right? So the further out it is, the longer, you know, the, the slower it appears. And it's so far out there, yet it traverses the whole thing in a like, split second. Uh, and I was thinking, well, what's stopping one of those from hitting us and completely obliterating this planet, right? Well, lucky for us, there is a governing principle, you know? There's someone in control. We don't have to worry about stuff like that, you see? It's going to all explode, but not now. You know, we don't have to worry about it. It's actually described in the Vedas when, how this, the whole world, the whole universe um, dissolve, uh, you know, is it the word dissolves or gets destroyed? Uh, but it's not for thousands and millions and a long time from now. So we don't have to worry about it now. But this is like when you, if you, this is one of like a very important principle to understand in, in, in yoga philosophy and, or just in life, not just philosophy, but yoga philosophy is life. It's, you can't separate what we're talking about in real life and practical application to your own life. Um, you know, when we, when we understand that we are, com we are completely, just like pearls are completely dependent on the thread, to be something, to exist in this, you know, as a necklace. We are completely dependent on God in every uh, respect. Like, this, so much happens uh, that we're, we, we don't, you know, we don't, we don't even know that it's happening, but it's, it is what's, without this happening, we would be uh, not able to live in this body. Right? Like, for example, uh, we don't even think about digesting our own food. It just happens automatically. Right? We just eat, we have a desire to eat that came about. We didn't make that desire. That desire just built into this body. And following this desire to eat, we eat, and then the food goes into our belly. It digests and then nourishes all the cells and keeps this body going. Right? This is one little function. Without digestion, we cannot live. You know? What about breathing? You know? we, don't, we don't even think about breathing. At night, we go to sleep. It just goes on automatically. Or during the day, nobody thinks about their breathing, really. You know? Unless you have some kind of you know, major health problem and you're forced to, it's really difficult to breathe, then you think about your breathing. But generally, I haven't thought about my breathing I mean, when I was doing yoga saunas yesterday, I was thinking about my breathing. But that was the only time I, I thought about my breathing. And that was only for, like, I was trying to think about it, you know. And my mind kept thinking about other stuff, but I'm trying to concentrate on my breathing when I'm doing that. And it's really hard to get your mind to think about the breathing, you know. So we're dependent. There's, we're so absolutely dependent um, on God in every single, every, every single way. Um, so uh, this... To understand this uh, is, is a very important principle. Uh, it's it's an, not, not only very important, it's an essential principle uh, to understand this, to, be, uh, to, to make progress and be successful in yoga. 
if you practice meditation and you practice the system of bhakti yoga which we teach, this realization of your dependence on God will become more and more, uh, you'll become more and more aware of it as you keep practicing. In the beginning, our eyes are so covered with the illusion, we think we're independent. We think we're self-sufficient. We think we're such a big man, or, you know, we, we, think, we, got our, think, we, we think we got it together, you know. We, you know, we, we, we do this, we go, to, we go to work, and, you know, we know how to work the business, and we know how to make money, and we know how to get food on the table, and, and or, you know, we think we got this world wired, you know. We start having this, this type of arrogance, or this type of... Uh, you know, uh, delusion of our uh, thinking that we're independent. We don't need anybody. But actually, uh, if anybody thinks about this for any, in any, with any type of sincerity and um, just a little bit of intelligence, that person will be able to see you very easily that I am actually completely dependent in every single respect. So, um, when, when I understand this, when I become more aware of this, uh, then my whole attitude towards things um, changes. And then I uh, learn to take shelter in that which is actually maintaining me. I don't, uh, I don't take shelter in my own abilities, in my own uh, whatever it is, wealth, uh, looks, skills, um, uh, any passing thing, family members or whatever, I, I, I become aware that I am actually uh, completely dependent on God. And then uh, from this knowledge, from this realization, then I more and more take shelter in that which is um, maintaining me. So the yoga system is not one of... Uh, conjuring up or imagining some false shelter. It's uncovering, realizing the actual uh, situation of things and acting on that reality. Not, not having some type of... Uh, not, not some fake type of shelter, but actually learning who I am, what is my position, and then from this knowledge and realization, acting on that. This is yoga. <clears throat> o son of Kunti, I am the taste of water, the light of the sun and the moon, the syllable Om in the Vedic mantras. I am the sound in ether and the ability in man. I am the original fragrance of earth, of the earth, and I am the heat and fire. I am the life of all that lives, 
and I am the penance of all ascetics. O son of Prita, know that I am the original seed of all existence, the intelligence of the intelligent and the prowess of all powerful men. I am the strength of the strong, devoid of passion and desire. I am sex life which is not contrary to religious principles. O Lord of the Bharatas. All states of being, be they goodness, passion, or ignorance, are manifested by my energy. I am one I am in one sense everything, but I am independent. I am not under the modes of material nature. So there's nothing that can be separated from God. Because everything comes from God. <clears throat> you cannot say it's not God. Just like you cannot say the sun ray is not the sun. The sun ray is the sun. The sun ray cannot be separated from the sun. Without the sun, there's no sun ray. Yet, at the same time, the sun globe is separate from the sun ray. So similarly, the Supreme Lord, the energy of the Supreme Lord, in, the, in Hare, Hare Krishna, Hare refers to the energy of the Supreme Lord. So, uh, this, we are part of this energy of the sun or of the Supreme Lord. Like the, the sun ray is um, the spark of the sun, so that the jivas, the living entities, are, um, and the material world, and this universe, and everything that there is, is the energy of God. But at the same time, He is simultaneously separate. He said he is not under the modes of material nature. So we're, you see how we are um, controlled by material nature. Like for example, like earlier I gave the example of we have a desire to eat, so we follow that desire. And then this nourishes our bodies, right? There's so many uh, desires, the mode of goodness or the mode of passion, the mode of ignorance, this uh, good passion, the desire, the, the, the mode that comes over us that forces us to act, to um, uh, uh, be active to do things, uh, art, music, money, making money, uh, enjoying the senses. This, this passion comes over us and we are forced to act. So we have a, a desire comes over us and then it pulls us to act in certain ways. Or the desire for sleep. Uh, the mode of ignorance comes over us. We desire sleep or forgetfulness or uh, we want to zone out in front of the TV or something. This is, uh, um, this is due to a, a, a mode of nature called the mode of ignorance. And so uh, we are controlled by it, but the Supreme Lord is not controlled by it. He puts it into motion, but He's separate from it and it doesn't affect Him. He does not become... He does not, there's no power that comes over him that forces him to want to act in a certain way. This is because we're, just like the sun ray is the infinitesimal, um, is infinitesimal in size to the sun. It is subject to uh, things that the sun isn't. Like, for example, uh, the sun ray, you can pee on the sun ray. 
but you can't pee on the sun. As soon as you try to pee on the sun, the pee will burn before it gets to the sun, right? Can you imagine standing over the sun and trying to pee on the sun? It won't work. It'll just evaporate. But you can pee all over the sun ray, no problem. Right? So the sun ray is... <laughs> it's a good one, eh? I think it's a pretty good one. But it's, that's the case. You know, the sun, because the sun ray is infinitesimal, it doesn't have the same power as the sun. So because we are the uh, infinitesimal spirit soul, not the supreme soul, uh, we are subject, uh, we, we tend to come under the control of material nature, but the Supreme Lord is not under the control of His own energy. <clears throat> Deluded by the three modes, goodness, passion, and ignorance, the whole world does not know me who am above the modes, of, modes and inexhaustible. The divine energy of mind, consisting of three modes of material nature, is difficult to overcome, but those who have surrendered unto me can easily cross beyond it. So these modes of material nature are very strong, and it's very difficult to overcome them. But those that are surrendered unto the Supreme Lord can easily overcome these modes of material nature. They are not uh, pulled around by them. Uh, it doesn't force them to act. So, uh, this, the infinitesimal spirit soul can become somewhat like the sun in this analogy, the, in, the, the jiva, the small spirit, the jiva means us, the living entities, the, the, the rays of the sun. So I don't have to explain myself every time I say jiva from now on. It means the small living entities. So the jiva <coughs> uh, can become like the Supreme Lord in a sense where he is not pulled around by the modes of material nature. Because he uh, takes shelter in God. And by taking shelter in God, he uh, actually lives, he may appear to live in this world, but he, he lives in a whole different world, a whole different consciousness. Uh, and in this world that he lives in, he, he's, not, uh, he, he, he's able to perceive the modes of material nature acting on his body, but he is not... Uh, he is aloof from them. He, there's some separation. Uh, there's some, in other words, uh, self-control. Uh, he's not pulled around. Just like you have, uh, a, an example of this is like you have a drug addict, right? Uh, someone who is addicted to heroin. Like, uh, most of us have no problem not taking heroin. We're, we're not pulled around by that desire. Right? We don't have an addiction to it. Uh, but there are other people who cannot refrain from it, or alcohol, right? Or uh, cigarettes, right? They cannot refrain from it. They have to have it. So they're, they're so pulled by it that they have no control. They know it's bad for them. They know they shouldn't do it. They know it's making them miserable. It's it's, it's ruining their relationships, but 
they have to do it. They're pulled around by, by the desire, right? So, uh, <clears throat> all of us in this material world are like crackheads. <laughs> we're all, we're, we're just pulled around by um, uh, the material world, the, the, its offerings of uh, lust, uh, greed, um, power, fame, these things, they, they pull us uh, into doing different things like this. Uh, so we're addicted, like a crackhead. We're addicted. We cannot not do it. But when one uh, becomes surrendered to um, the Supreme Lord, he's, he becomes gradually freed from the, the pull of the material world. This comes from experiencing, actually tasting a different world. When you start to, when you engage in the process of meditation, bhakti yoga, you start to get a glimpse of another world beyond this world. And this world is so nice. This other world is so nice. And uh, so free, so full of life, that when a person has a little bit of a glimpse of that, he loses so much attraction for this material world. It falls away like that. And as he progresses on the path of bhakti yoga, he, he becomes... He lives in that in the, this other world uh, more, more. Uh, hit, hit, the glimpses become bigger glimpses. They become uh, more clear. Just like that, glimpse. Like if you get a glimpse of something, right? Uh, Okay, I got an, I got an uh, uh, analogy. So you you know back in uh, TVs nowadays, I don't think they do it, but back in the day, it used to be like you'd watch TV and, and, and you know say if you got antennas, you know you had to hold antennas, and you try to watch something and it's fuzz, you can't see anything, and once in a while you get it's kind of you can kind of see it, right? You can kind of see it, and then. You, 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 you start to see, oh, there's something there. It's real. The TV actually works, right? And, and so you get a bit of a black and white, maybe, glimpse and kind of fuzzy, but you know there's something there, right? It's better than watching the wall. So, um, and, and, and as you're... So I guess the, the chanting of the, the mantras is somewhat can be compared to, like, um, scrubbing the the, um, the crud off the antennas, right? You just the antennas like filled with all kinds of crud, so you're you're scrubbing, and then the picture you can see a glimpse of something, and then so you know it, it's working. So you scrub a little bit more, and then you can see more, right? You can enter into it more, and then there might be a, a shit storm, and then the shit storm puts more shit all over your 
antennas. So you don't see anything for a while, you know? But you knew there was something there. So then you get back to scrubbing. And then eventually the, the, you know, the, the picture gets clearer and clearer. There may be some storms. That's okay. You wipe it off. You keep going, you know? That's what the process of bhakti yoga is like. So that's, that's, so as, you know, we, we might make some progress, we might be able to see clearly, and then the shit storm comes, and we don't see anything. But we have a memory, uh, there was something there, and we know what to do to get to it, you see? So, um, this is what it's like, and as you, as you progress, you, the picture becomes more and more clear, you're able to, ex you have, you're able to know the spiritual world, um, uh, better and better as you as you uh, keep going and there there may you may uh, the storms come they may cover you up and it's not like this it's not like you, you know generally for most people it's not like a you know uh, you know when you have a chart it's just like things gradually go up they don't you know like a stock like an Apple stock or something or whatever, or like a, a IBM stock. It, it started down here, and then it came up, and then it dipped down, you know, and then it came up again and dipped down, right? But over like a period of like 10, 15 years, you made a, a lot of progress, right? So uh, spiritual yoga practice is like that. Um, okay. The miscreants who are grossly foolish, lowest among mankind, whose knowledge is stolen by illusion, and who partake of the atheistic nature of demons, do not surrender unto me. O best among the Bharatas, Arjuna, four kinds of pious men render devotional service unto me, the distressed, the desire of wealth, the inquisitive, and he who is searching for knowledge of the absolute. So, what he's speaking of here is actually pre-devotional service. It's those who come to the practice of um, bhakti yoga of four kinds one who is suffering or distressed, one who desires wealth, the inquisitive, and he who is searching for knowledge of the Absolute. So, we will find ourselves in one of these four. So, what does inquisitive mean? It means someone who's interested, right? Like someone who, who's like curious. curious. Yeah, yeah. So, where was I? I'd say inquisitive, and I would say a mix of inquisitive and someone who is searching for knowledge of the Absolute. That's where I was when I started, you know? Some people start because they're suffering greatly. Distress means someone who's suffering. So, uh, they, they may hear that meditation will make you happy, so they engage in practices to make themselves to, to be happy. But after some time, 
you trend, what happens is the person transcends the reasons why he came. So, uh, the distressed uh, will always be actually distressed <laughs> to some degree or another as long as he's thinking about himself. You see? As long as he's, he's in uh, me consciousness, thinking about my happiness. Um, the the um, desire of wealth. He's wanting wealth for himself. <laughs> he's not wanting wealth for Krishna. He's not thinking about Krishna. That's not devotional service yet. That's pre, that's, that's, um, that's self-centered, right? He's thinking, I want, I'm poor. If I go to, um, if I go to church or if I go to uh, engage in meditation, my luck will change. I will get, wealth doesn't necessarily just mean money, but, uh, you know, it could mean a family, it could mean a, a husband or a wife or a, uh, you know, there's, there's many ways to measure wealth, not just dollars and cents, you know. So he's, he's thinking if he does this, if he, if he worships God, then he'll get some good luck of some kind. And his, his, his whatever he's feeling lack of wealth in, he will, um, that will change. So that's why he takes to the devotional service of God. Um, the inquisitive. And he who is searching for knowledge of the absolute. So of all these four people, um, eventually they come to the knowledge, they come to the understanding that I am the spirit soul, and in order to be happy, I need to be engaged in the devotional service of the Supreme Soul. And um, there comes a time where uh, they realize that I have to do some work now. <laughs> I have to uh, um, do something uh, that I not necessarily thought I was going to do when I signed up. <laughs> when I first came to this, right? Because actually, the spirit soul, I love this analogy, actually. When I, this is when I first read the Bhagavad Gita. I didn't read this version. I read, if you guys saw the big version that she had with the explanations of the verses on it. And in one of the explanations, uh, my great, or my grandfather spiritual master, uh, Bhaktivedanta Swami, who wrote the purports, he said that, um, when a leaf takes the rainwater for itself and doesn't give it to the root, then the leaf will dry up and not be happy. Right? In order for the leaf to be happy, he needs to take the water and give it to the root, give it to the hole. And then when he, when he does this, then the leaf flourishes. This is a wonderful analogy. And it blew my mind. And I thought it was such an interesting concept that, because my whole life I've been taught, if you want to be happy, you must get this, you must get that, you must get this, then you'll be happy. But what it's saying is, if you want to be happy, you must give it. You must give it all to God. That's the, you must use everything you have 
for the pleasure of God. This is devotional service. And then people, the inquisitive. So he came to inquire. Oh, it's interesting. I, I like inquiring. I, I think this is, this is all interesting stuff. It's, you know, it's philosophical. And, and what about this and what about that? But in, if he wants to actually achieve anything, he has to transcend his inquisitiveness and change his whole um, you know, perspective, right? He needs to now uh, start to change his mental groove, which is difficult. You know? We all have a groove of how we live in this world and how we, are, um, how we think we're going to be happy. and we, It's very difficult to get out of that groove. So, uh, it might not be apparent to you yet, but if you want to be happy, if you want to actually experience fulfillment of your heart, then you must be God-centered, not I-centered. The spirit soul, by nature, is, um, has an eternal relationship with the Supreme Lord. And we've forgotten this relationship, and it is so intrinsic to who we are this relationship but we're we've turned away from the supreme lord and we're trying to find happiness independently and just like a fish can never be happy swimming on land uh, the spirit soul can never be happy independently of his relationship with the supreme lord so uh, uh, when we understand this then we have to there's some, a lot of work to be done. And this is why yoga is not a, such an easy thing to a lot of people. Uh, because it, there's a whole change of consciousness that needs to happen in order to experience the fruits of um, the yoga system. So in other words, there's internal work. It's not that a person can just do everything that he's always been doing in the same consciousness and magically they're going to be happy just because they chant some mantras, you see? A person needs to actually um, have a change of consciousness. Yoga means God consciousness. Meditation means uh, God consciousness, means uh, thinking about God, not thinking about me. So the whole yoga system is meant to take my consciousness from me to God. So, this is, this is actually um, scary for a lot of people. It's not, it's, not a, it's, not a, it's not such an easy thing. So, <clears throat> the mantra is there. The process of bhakti yoga is there. To, it purifies our hearts. And gradually, we're able to um, our consciousness is able to change. Actually, we don't really do the work. The mantra is there, purifying our hearts, purifying our consciousness. The process of bhakti yoga is there, purifying our hearts and consciousness. And there is a change that comes about. But if you're resistant to the change, and you don't want it, then it won't happen. A person must want to transform their life in order for it to happen. You cannot do it by yourself, but there must be a desire for real change in order to experience. 
What text were we on? Does anybody remember? Of the wise, no, of these, the wise one who is full, who is in full knowledge in union with me through pure devotional service is the best. For I am very dear to him and he is very dear to me. All these devotees are undoubtedly magnanimous souls, but he who is situated in knowledge of me, I consider verily to dwell in me. Being engaged in my transcendental service, he attains me. So the relationship between the jiva and the Supreme Lord is a very intimate relationship, very sweet and very intimate relationship. The Supreme Lord ex appreciates everything that you do for Him. He is not a type of mean judge in the sky. He is very sweet, very appreciative. There is a saying that if one takes a thousand steps towards, or so, sorry, if one takes one step toward God, he takes a thousand steps towards Him. He's very eager and he's very appreciative of any little service that we do. Him. Um, there was a story of Bilva Mangwa Thakur. He was a blind. The story of how he became blind is actually an amazing story. But we're not, the part, um, I, I don't remember it enough, well enough to be to tell it now. But after he became blind, uh, he was completely dependent on God, God to um, take care of him. And uh, he was speaking to Krishna, speaking to God. And uh, he said, uh, because he said that Krishna held his hand and led him wherever, wherever, he, wherever he went. He was holding his hand like this. And he, he knew where to go because Krishna was holding his hand. And uh, Krishna like, let go of him for a second. Or I think maybe threatened to let go of him for a second. And he said, um, you can let go of my hand, but let's see you try to leave my heart. You see, this indicates that the relationship of the, the spirit soul and God are extremely, is extremely close, extremely friendly and intimate. It's not, um, the process of bhakti yoga is developing a very sweet and intimate relationship with God there within your heart. So, um, here Krishna says very sweetly, I am very dear to him, and he is very dear to me. This is actually the situation. Just like two friends are very dear to each other, the, it, as a person progresses on the path of bhakti yoga, then he becomes very dear to the Supreme Lord, and the Supreme Lord becomes very dear to him. It's a very sweet and intimate relationship. After many, many births, 
Sorry, I'm going to try to read that again. After many births and deaths, he who is actually in knowledge surrenders unto me, knowing me to be the cause of all causes and all that is. Such a great soul is very rare. Those whose minds are distorted by material desires surrender unto demigods and follow the particular rules and regulations of worship according to their own natures. I am in everyone's heart as a super-soul. As soon as one desires to worship the demigods, I make the, his faith steady so that he can devote himself to some particular deity. So, uh, in the Vedic culture, people worship demigods in order to get material... Um, Results. So people worship uh, <clears throat> uh, if the farmer wants rain, then he'll worship Lord Indra. And who's the one? Katyani. They worship Katyani to get a nice husband or a nice wife. Is that right? Yeah. But so uh, they worship these de the demigods because they want stuff for themselves. They want money or they want a wife or they want good rain for their crops and so on. So uh, Krishna gives them the faith. If they, want, if they have this desire, then Krishna gives them the uh, faith in that particular deity, the faith that if I get this money, then I'll be happy, right? Uh, if someone wants, in other words, if someone wants to be, uh, if someone has a strong desire to be a famous actress or actor, then the Supreme Lord dwelling within their hearts gives them the faith uh, to pursue that path because that is what they want. So uh, whatever we want, Krishna is there in our hearts letting us or giving us um, this uh, faith that whatever that is, whatever we want is going to make us happy. You see? So we have to be very careful what it is we want. You see, this is actually due to Krishna's um, uh, respect for our free will. Everybody's endowed with the free will to, to serve Krishna or not. But our identity is the eternal servant of Krishna. This is actually who we are. But Krishna gives us the vision or he covers our vision of this, this actual, our true identity and allows us to um, pursue what we want because if he did not cover our vision of what's actually there, of who we actually are, we could not really follow our desires, right? In order to follow our desires, we have to have this um, uh, f faith in those desires. If we actually knew the real situation, I am actually the eternal servant of Krishna, then no matter what else is offered to me, I know it's not going to bring me happiness because it's part of who I, I'm not, that's not who I am. I'm not a actor. Actually, I'm a real, actually my real identity is a spirit soul. So if I, if I achieve this goal of being a famous actor, um, 
if I know it's not going to make me happy because it has nothing to do with who I really am, uh, then I won't chase after it. You see? So the Supreme Lord is there in our hearts allowing us to uh, pursue whatever we want to pursue and giving us the faith to pursue that. So there you go. <laughs> okay, so we got... Actually, this is a very short chapter, so um, I'll, I'll just... I think we're running out of time here, so I'm just going to try to read through this without making too much commentary here. Where, where are we at? Anybody know? Yeah, yeah, maybe 22. Okay, I'm going to read from 21. I am in everyone's heart as a super soul. So the super soul means the, there's an expansion of God within everybody's heart called the Paramatma. So he's there with everybody's heart. One of the names for the Paramatma is the super soul. I don't know when they started translating Paramatma as super soul in English, but I guess they just, at some point they did. As soon as one desires to worship the demigods, I make his faith steady so that he can devote himself to some particular deity. Endowed with such faith, he seeks favors of a particular deity, demigod and obtains his desires. But in actuality, these benefits are bestowed by me alone. So that, oh, okay, I'm going to try to not commentate here. Okay, so that, we'll just keep going. <laughs> okay. Men of small intelligence worship the demigods and their fruits are limited and temporary. Those who worship the demigods go to the planets of the demigods, but my devotees ultimately reach my supreme planet. Unintelligent men who know me not think that I have assumed this form and personality. Due to their small knowledge, they do not know my higher nature, which is changeless and supreme. So just really quickly. Krishna, he appeared in this, this conversation happened 5,000 years ago in the battlefield of Kurukshetra in uh, what's now known as India. And uh, Krishna appeared just like we appear. We're here in our bodies. Actually, we, we don't, you actually don't see me. You see my body here. I have nothing to do with this, this form. This is a temporary form. Krishna appeared at this time when this conversation happened 5,000 years ago. And he said, unintelligent men think that I have assumed this form and personality. Just like we have assumed this form. But Krishna is not like, Krishna is eternally existing in his original transcendental form. It looks something like this. So, uh, he appeared, he always exists in this form. Actually, this form is inseparable from him. His form is him. There's no separation. So when he was in India, he appeared just like the sun comes, the sun is in our vision for some time, and then it goes out of our vision, but the sun always exists, right? So the form of the Supreme Lord always exists, but sometimes it's, it's, it appears for people to see and sometimes not. So just like that, at that time in India, Krishna was there with his transcendental form, but the transcendental form of Krishna is not like our form where uh, it's assumed and it's... it's it's, it's, it's worn temporarily and then the soul takes it off and takes on a new form. Krishna is, and his form are inseparable uh, and are one and the same always. Okay? I am never manifest to the foolish and unintelligent. 
For them I am covered by my eternal creative potency, yoga maya, and so the deluded world knows me not, who am unborn and infallible. O Arjuna, as a supreme personality of Godhead, I know everything that has happened in the past, all that has happened in the present, and all things that are yet to come. I also know all living entities, but me no one knows. O Sion of Bharat, O conqueror of the foe, all living entities are born into delusion, overcome by the dualities of desire and hate. Persons who have acted piously in previous lives and in this life, whose sinful activities are completely eradicated and who are freed from the duality of delusion, engage, myself in my engage themselves in my service with determination. So when our delusion is cleared away, then we have no other choice. <laughs> we, when, you know, when you know who you are, when all the false labels are stripped away, and you know who you are, then there's only one activity, engaging in the devotional service of the Supreme Lord. Those who are freed from illusion, that's what they do. The ones that are covered by illusion, they're, off, they're, they're chasing after all kinds of stuff. Fame, wealth, uh, whatever. Members of the opposite sex. They're, they're busy in so many different things that it's never going to make them happy. But when someone is, when their eyes are cleared of illusion, they only have one activity, is engaging in the service of the Supreme Lord. I've got to do something like put my finger where I start talking. Intelligent persons who are endeavoring for liberations, liberation from old age and death take refuge in me in devotional service. They are actually Brahman because they, are, because they entirely know everything about transcendental and fruitive activities. Those who know me as the Supreme Lord, as the governing principle of the material manifestation, who know me as the one underlying all the demigods and as the one sustaining all all sacrifices, can, with steady mind, understand and know me even at the time of death. <laughs> All right. Is there any questions? That was chapter 7 done. I'm sorry for taking so long. It was about an hour. It wasn't too bad, I guess. So does anybody have any questions? We did cover a lot there. So as the param as the Atma, we you know, you were saying Krishna comes in his form. So we as an Atma we always keep that spiritual form and it never changes. Um well I can't give you a clear answer on that. We are the, I've heard it described that we are the spark of God within, within the body. It's described as a spark. And when, when we achieve liberation from this material world, then we get a spiritual body. 
according to uh, the particular uh, flavor of relationship with Krishna. The material bodies that we have currently? Yeah. yeah. Just like, uh, um, so, well, not necessarily. We, we, we go through the different bodies. When you go through the, uh, the animal bodies, it's automatic. You go from the lowest one to the highest one, automatic, right? It's not because of their mentality. It's just because... That's the way it goes, right? So you go from, I don't know the, which one goes to which, but like you'd go from like amoeba to like uh, cell, <laughs> I don't know. And, and, then, and then like, um, and then, you know, ant and, and then, you know, cockroach and whatever. I don't know the, the whole thing, right? But there's, there's 8 million different species of life that you go through automatically, right? And then there's uh, 400,000 human species, 400,000 different kinds of humans. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah. So there's 400,000, not necessarily in this planet, but, you know, like you got, you got aliens, you know, with the big, big heads. They're a type of human species. Like they're, they got human intelligence, right? So, uh, so, so we, we get, uh, but when we're in the human form, then we, we're responsible for our mentality. Right, so uh, we get bodies according to our mentality, our, our desires. Right, so for example, if somebody was, uh, thank you, if somebody was um, very attached, for example, to hand gliding, right, he was at work every day thinking about hand gliding, and uh, you know he's got a when he, you know, but it's a trip to, to hang glide in a human body. You've got to carry these wings up. You've got to lug them up the mountain. And then, you know, there's a whole, you've got to put on all this apparatus and spend all this money. And then you've got your wife at home, like, complaining that you're out hand gliding when, you know, you should be taking her out or whatever. Um, so it's a trip to, to, to be able to experience hand gliding in this, in this world, in the human body. But if you're, if you're thinking like this all the time, then what kind of body are you, you know, do you really want? You really want a bird body, right? Because they can, hang, they can, you know, like seagulls, they can just, they can do exactly what the hang gliders do, just cruise around over the beach like that. So um, it is said that the, 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 you, with your activities in this human form of life, you take on a certain type of mental um, shape. Your mind takes a certain shape, Right? And then the body, the next body that you get uh, fits that shape, right? Just like a, a glove fits a hand, right? So the mind is compared to the, the hand and then the, the, the next body is compared to the glove that's over it, right? So uh, if you're super attached, if you're really attached to like hand gliding, for example, uh, you're sowing the seeds of getting a bird body, you're, you're just taking, you know, you're getting a body suitable for your, to your desires, right? Uh, 
Yeah. yeah. So in the, in the human form of life, so animals, there's, uh, have the four basic, animals and humans share the four basic propensities of eating, sleeping, mating, and fighting or defending. Just like a dog, you'll see a dog, um, his main interests in life are eating, sleeping, uh, sex, and fighting. But nowadays they cut the nuts off, so no more. <laughs> but naturally a dog is like that, right? And the humans, eating, sleeping, mating, defending. So, uh, but the humans have a fifth ability that the animals don't have, and that's the, in, the intelligence to inquire into the absolute truth. Who am I? What is the purpose of life? And so on. So, uh, an animal doesn't have that intelligence. You, you, know, you don't see a dog inquiring what is the purpose of life. <laughs> you don't see a dog asking, they don't even have the ability, they can't ask another dog what is the purpose of life? They just can't do it. They don't have the intelligence. So, um, uh, because they don't want it. That's why. Their interest is sense enjoyment. You see? So in the human form of life, we can either live like animals, or, and then we get an animal body to suit our desires. If our, you know, there's even people that are envious of their dogs because they get to eat, sleep, fuck, and fight. And they're not really interested in the fighting part, but eating, sleeping, mating, uh, the main ones, you know? They're, they're envious of that, of their dog, because they get to do it all the time, and they have to go to work, and they have all these responsibilities, and they got headaches, and they have, you know, uh, uh, you know, have to deal with people and everything, and they feel very envious of the dog. Well, they're cultivating dog, dog body, you see? But if you want to get a human body in your next life, then you must uh, uh, cultivate the desires of a human, which is... Uh, inquiring into the absolute truth. And if you want to become liberated from the whole thing, then you must become uh, attached to God, detached from the material world. There's two things that, th this attachment, see, it's, it's whatever we want, we get, basically. So if we're attached to God, we go to God. If we're attached to this material world, then we go to the material world. And we get to enjoy in whatever way we really desire. Like there's some you know, in the, in the human body, we can only have sex for so long and, like, there needs to be a recuperation time before you do it again, usually, right? So, uh, but there's other species that, like, they can do that, like, like pigeons can have sex, like, a hundred times a day. A hundred times a day. So, uh, some people hear that and they, they think, that sounds fucking good. <laughs> so... So they're envious of the pigeon. They want a pigeon life. <laughs> it's not that, you know, when you get a pigeon body, then you're attracted to other pigeons. You know, it's, it's, it's the sex enjoyment that you're interested in. Uh, but you just got a, a different, I mean, if, if there's a pigeon there on the street in the city and, and uh, a, be a beautiful uh, hot human girl walks by, do you think the pigeon's interested? No. He's interested in the, in the pigeon. He's got the sexual desire for the other pigeon. Right? So, um, but it's the, it's the attachment to the sexual enjoyment that is, that is its essence. <laughs> the pigeon's essence, really, right? So, um, if that's our, if that's what we want, um, then there's, there's bodies 
that are way more conducive to that than human bodies. See? So we actually don't want a human body. Even though we think we want a human body, we actually don't want a human body. So the human body is not meant for the, um, to, to live like polished animals, eating, uh, so eating special nice food, sleeping in comfortable beds, and having sex with all kinds of fun toys. <laughs> right? The human form of life, uh, that's just living like an animal, using the human intelligence to live like an animal. We can make the enjoyments, uh, we use our intelligence to, to further our animalistic um, enjoyments, right? Like, uh, um, you know, it, instead of using the intelligence to inquire into the absolute, into, into the absolute truth, they uh, use intelligence in order to how to have sex uh, with as many people as possible. You know, they, 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 they develop their game and they, they you know, they, they got it down to a science. You know, you, you talk to a certain amount of girls, two out of ten will reply. Out of those two out of ten, you play a certain game with them and then hopefully, you know, they develop their whole intelligence, their whole, whole scheme, right? They're using their intelligence in order to um, satisfy their uh, material desires, right? So, uh, that is cultivating animal life. But uh, if you want to cultivate human life, then you cultivate uh, this desire, this inquisitive into who am I, what is the purpose of life, where is actual happiness to be found. Uh, this is human intelligence, human life. And then when you leave this body, you at least get a human form of life. And not only that, take off from the point you left off. So if you've made it 3% self-realized, then you take off at that 3%, 4%. You stick off from there in your next life. You see? And then eventually you get the 100%. In other words, no more attachment to the material world. Uh, full happiness in my relationship, in a relationship with uh, the Supreme Lord. And then when the time comes to leave the body, then I just naturally go to God because of my, my desire for God takes me to God. You see? So the practice of Bhakti Yoga is uh, cultivating my relationship with God, increasing my love for God, uh, my attachment to God, and um, when it's time to leave the leave this material world, leave this body, then I go to God. Oops. Okay. <laughs> All right. So I think that's it for today, guys. That's a lot of talking, a lot of information.